What's up, everybody? We have a little preview of another episode of the World on Drug Podcast with me, Steve Fury. This episode is the 18th Street Gang Part 2. This is more of a modern day one. We're going to focus on them in South America. In the 2000s, 18th Street Gang really started to explode worldwide because of the um, forced deportations by the United States. What we thought is we would uh, take our gang members, kick them out, and then hopefully uh, we wouldn't have a problem more. That's not how it worked. What this caused is 18th Street to become extremely powerful in Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Their membership got so big in El Salvador that the El Salvadoran government had to stop, had to start splitting up the gangs by prison, not by cell block or by wing. Um, doing this now allowed the gang, since which is one gang, one prison, to control the culture and still be able to start um, making the shots from inside the prison. And oh boy, did they start doing that uh the thing about 18th street gang and ms13 in south america is that they don't go after just gang members they don't go after just police they go after everyone and even the military i mean who goes after the military in 2007 18th street membership in america was about 30,000. at the same time the number in south america was between mm, 70 to 100 thousand members and they start using them folks from 2006 to 2010 18th street and ms13 killed 630 bus drivers and 201 fare collectors for failing to pay protection money in guatemala good god who knew there were that many bus drivers in the world? In 2016, as a government, El Salvador began to target gang-affiliated neighborhoods with um, extreme brutality. They would go in these neighborhoods where MS-13 or 18th Street members would be, and then they would just beat the living shit out of anyone on the street. I'm talking gang members. I'm talking old women. I'm talking uh, anybody. Uh, and you think, why? Why did the government go in and just start beating the shit out of everybody in these poor neighborhoods. Were they targeting these people? Uh, in a way, um, in August 2014, there were 907 murders in El Salvador. That's a country roughly the size of Massachusetts. By comparison, Chicago, known for its gang violence, recorded 411 murders in the whole year of 2014. So now you know why the Salvadoran government is taking uh, pretty big leaps and bounds to try and curb this problem. Uh, the problem is when they started to go against MS-13 and, and 18th Street, 18th Street and MS-13 got together and started attacking police officers. In 2015 in El Salvador, 55 police officers were assassinated by the gang along with 18 military officials, six correction officers, one prosecutor, and one judge. In El Salvador today, they have a murder rate of 25 per day with 80% of them being gang-related murders. Once again, most of these kids are just kids, 12, 13, 14. So if you want to know more about what the fuck is going on with uh, 18th Street Gang in El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and all South America, check out the new episode of World on Drugs Podcast with me, Steve Fury. Wherever you get podcasts, it's available. And this week's guest from the Fighter and the Kid Podcast and the Cutting Weight Podcast, Malik Bazil. What is up, everybody? Been a little while, huh? It's not Stevie Boy's fault. It's not Stevie Boy's fault. I mean, maybe a little. I can't just get rid of all blame. Uh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of World on Drugs. I am your host, Steve.
Fury. Ah, oh my God, we thought he'd never come back. Oh, uh, okay. So this is what happened. We're just gonna jump into this episode. Let's just say it right off the top. It's gonna be about the 18th Street game part two. So we're gonna do a little bit more modern stuff and really just focus on what happens in South America. Cause guess what, guys? It got fucking out of control. And our guest this week is Malik B. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but you guys probably won't know why it took so long to get this new episode out. Fury, Steve Fury. I don't know who this person is or this voice, but all of my fans sound like this. Um, so, as you know, been a little difficult moving into that comedy store studio. Um, so, okay, so there's a guy coming and he works. He used to work for a really large podcast network and he's setting up their shit. So he hasn't come yet, so that he thought he'd have two of his cronies, guys I know, run the studio for him while he's here before he's coming out. I said, fine, you know, I don't, we're going to get back to that a little later, if I even want to move there now. I mean, I still will be affiliated with it. Um, so, so he has these two cronies working, and it's fine. I know the guys, I don't really care. I'm not a very demanding person, you know. I'm, I'm kind of more just go with the flow, and if it gets fucked up, I'll worry about it later and worry about it next time. So one of my buddies um, goes to uh, take over the podcast, you know, take start recording and everything. I get in there with a guy named Andrew Rolfo. He, uh, you might know him from Netflix. You might know him from James Corden, The Late Late Show. You might know him, if you're from the future, he's recording a Comedy Central present, uh, Presents Digital soon. So, a decent guest, and I, uh, I'm talking to him about the BNG gang, the Bahala Na gang. They are a Filipino gang you've probably never heard of. He's Filipino. They're from Northern California. He's from Northern California. As you could see, a lot of good reasons. So, I record the podcast. Um, their kind of studio is a little uh, not great right now. Great um, equipment. Like sick ass sure, like the best sure mics you can use, the ones Rogan uses. Um, they got the Black Magic cameras. Um, they got great equipment. So I was like, okay, I'll just start going in there, slowly go into it. And um, when I recorded the podcast, my buddy left. I guess he recorded it straight onto my card or some shit. I don't know. It didn't record. He says it did. I don't think he knows what the fuck he's talking about. So I spent, uh, oh, I don't know, about a week messaging him trying to get that episode because maybe he had it on the computer, which is a smart thing if you're going to do podcasting is record it onto your computer, then put it on a fucking drive so that you have a backup. There's a little crazy thing. You always want a backup, right? Just like if you got a girlfriend, you need a backup. No, I'm kidding. My girlfriend and I are great. Speaking of that, another reason why I just didn't bust out another episode is I moved. I moved into a, a two-bedroom apartment with my girlfriend now. It's on the third floor. We have a great view of L.A., um, we're in kind of the Los Fleas area, um, and that's another reason I'm not sure. So the Comedy Store is going to start taking over the podcast in the sense that they are starting their own, their own network with um, a big producer, and he's going to start getting real ads, so you won't have to hear that fucking anchor ad anymore. I mean, it's a real ad. I do get paid for it, but who gives a fuck? And they're going to start helping with that. thing is, is I moved into a new place um, with an extra bedroom that we have then turned into an office in my own kind of studio. So I may just not let anyone, um, cause the whole thing about my old studio studio is that I didn't want really big acts or really big people that I wasn't super good friends with or, you know, somewhat intimidated with, you know, cause in, in comedy, it's just like, you know, you're playing sports or something like that. Um, the seniors were on, you're on the JV team, a little intimidating, you know what I'm saying? A little, little, uh, 
a little intimidating. So I didn't really want them to come into my studio studio. So that's not a problem now. I have actually a pretty sick apartment with my girlfriend. I actually have a really sick background that we're going to start working on now. It's all black. I got some nice lights. The setup's good. Uh, I'm going to put some shelves back there. It's going to be nice. It's going to be swanky. You guys are going to like it. So I don't know if I really need to go to the comedy store anymore because um, I don't know. I just don't need to. So that's why it didn't happen. I spent the last two weeks trying to get this fucking episode from uh, Dan Madonia. And he was like kind of being shifty and just not answering my phone. So then I got a hold of the guy in New York who's moving out here. And he helped me out. And I think that episode's gone. So I'm going to probably have to redo that. I was really hoping that maybe if I missed the week, I um, could have got ahead on it, you know, maybe. Maybe got ahead on a week, missed a week, but then, you know, whatever. So that's why it's happened so long. And also, I would have recorded another episode. But then uh, how did last week go? Last week went well. Shows, I went in the main room, crushed again. I fucking love the main room of the comedy store, you know. I'm not getting, like, a ton of spots from them, but I get one really good spot every week, and it's been great. And um, then our shows at Salem and Bear City last week have been incredible. Um, we just had a show last night at the Citizen in, uh, in Culver City. It was sold out. It was great. Uh, once again, these I'm working with a group called The Setup. They're from San Francisco. It's my boy Richard Cervate and Abhay Nankarni. Um I just call them a bye. Um, and um, they're great. They're great at what they do. They have a really great show in San Francisco. It's one of the premier shows in San Francisco. And so if you do enjoy that kind of stuff or in San Francisco, come on out, man. Go to one of their shows. I won't be exactly running that one, but, you know, I co-signed them very much. So they decided to come down here, decided to work with me because kind of a popular guy. I know everybody. And uh, it's been going really well. I'm really excited for those. We got one on every Friday at the Salem House in, I think, Silver Lake or East L.A. That one's pretty fucking cool. It's at like a vin hip little vintage shop, an affordable vintage shop, too. I don't really know how this kid who owns it's like 20 years old. I don't know how the fuck he's making money. But um, when you go in the back, there's uh, some stairs that go down. And there's like this underground kind of like dirty all-white room church kind of thing. It's really funky, really cool. Our shows there have been great. And then the Citizen One and Culver City have been great. So that part's been good. Uh, one thing about L.A., it's getting weird. And if you're a COVID denier, you might want to take a spot off on this one. Um, COVID's fucking going crazy down here. And it's, um, to me, no one's dying now. But, you know, people are getting sick for two weeks, and it still sucks. But, um, you know, height of COVID, maybe I knew a small handful of people that truly got it. Right now, in this moment, today, on the 29th, I know over 10 people with COVID. Um, four of them have been vaccinated. The four that have been vaccinated, symptoms aren't super bad. You just get sick and tired for about two weeks. Um, I don't remember what I was talking about. I just took a break because the cats are going fucking wild. So now we also have two cats together. And one of them is Evie, and mine's Hallie. Her old name used to be Arya, but I can't be a grown man with the fucking Game of Thrones character named Cat. So I named her after Tyrese Halliburton. Cheers to you, Tyrese. Hope the Kings do something great today, man. I heard that they're trading um, Buddy Hield for Montrez, Harold, Kyle Kuzma, and the 22nd from the Lakers. Yes, please. Good God. God, that would be fucking sick. What was I talking about, folks? Um, set up the studio. Oh, I got some cats back, Hallie and Evie. So 
we were really worried about how they were going to do. And so what we did is, since we have two bedrooms now, it's so weird having, like, just not living at the bare minimum of your life. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> like, okay, I'm 32 years old. I wouldn't say I'm successful in my business, but I would say I'm on the right track. I would say a lot of people would like to be me in the, my business, you know. not That's a weird thing to say, but I think you would understand if you did stand up. I'm not in a bad place. But I'm definitely not wealthy or rich at all. And so, you know, sometimes when I was in that old studio and I'm 32 years old and I took too many edibles, I look around and be like, I live in a fucking closet. What am I doing with my life? My best friend Sam owns a house with multiple bedrooms and I'm here sleeping under a loft of t-shirts but you know shit came and worked out dude uh so the cats so what we did we now got two bedroom so we put one cat in one room and then we let the other one go out then we put the other cat in the other room let the other one go out and we did this about two to three days and then we started uh just letting them hang out with each other and the funniest thing man is that they'd break out while we were gone and then they would play with each other oh yeah i got also got another t- fucking Good excuse. Cat, god damn it, cat. This is if you go on the Insta, if you go on the YouTubes, this is Hallie. Say hello. She always gets on my fucking lap, even though I got an audition later. <sighs> so where we'd come home and we'd see that they were kind of like it's kind of like if you uh if you're like a parent and you get home and you go in your kid's room and he's with a girl in there and all of a sudden they're like both on the opposite sides of the room and like kind of staring in the corner. They're like, we weren't just trying to finger each other or anything. So these cats were just like we weren't just trying to play with each other for hella long, so that was really cute. So another reason why I wasn't able to put up a new fucking episode is I didn't have internet for the first week here. So that's why I had to go to the Comedy Store studio. I'm just remembering these shit because I have to remember two weeks ago. And Yeah, Papa, Papa, Papa like I have a little bit of fun. Papa like I have so much fun that I can't remember things. So the, I didn't have internet for a week, right? Then the internet finally comes, and that day they shut off the power. So it's like, what the fuck? So that's why I didn't have enough power. Or that's why I didn't have enough time or an ability to get the podcast out on my own or do anything of it. Also, the comedy store has been shutting the fuck down. Like I keep saying about the COVID stuff. LA is shutting down. Restaurants are now shutting down. The comedy store has been shut down for four days now. People are having outbreaks. So just stay safe in that. But that's why I couldn't go back in and try and look for the episode. Or I couldn't try and record a new episode. Or post a new episode. Because when you don't have power... Everything's dying, and I didn't. Ha- I couldn't go on my computer and start editing videos and posting podcasts because that would ruin my power. And then I was using the computer power to charge my phone. So then we finally get power. We fi- or uh, internet power goes out. Jordan and I get home. We uh, we actually went out and had a date night when the night the power went out. We went out and actually LA was fucking packed. There was no tables. We couldn't get any tables. We went somewhere and ate dinner. Then we went to the comedy store. Oh, no, no, no. Went to the comedy store. Then we went back to Jones on Santa Monica, which is one of my favorite places and restaurants in L.A. I believe George Clooney owns it. Not 100% sure, though. That's just kind of what people tell me. But um, it used to be down the street from my old apartment. And the best thing about this place is pretty. it's, it's really cool inside. It's kind of like a fancy dive bar. So inside it's very dark, red curtains, dark wood everywhere. Pretty hip place. And before 10 o'clock, it's pretty fucking expensive. A little too expensive for you, boy. Um, and then um, at 10, everything's 50% off. So back in the day, you used to be able to get a pizza, a full pizza, like a large pizza, thin pizza, 
and a salad for 16 bucks, and then all the drinks are 50% off. So that was kind of like my move back in the day. You know, I would take someone, we go out somewhere, and then we go meet there. I could drop, you know, 50 bucks, and we're balling out, and it was a great time. But me and Jordan went, and we just had a great time. We enjoyed uh, some drinks. We enjoyed, we got our own little booth. You get a, It's a great place to people watch. I mean, I've, I've got to hang out with some pretty cool people there. Remember the tall black guy from uh, Reno 911? You know, he's always kind of got lighter eyes, tall, big dude. I hung out with him all one night because on one side of the bar, it's kind of like they got like a little, it's like elevated. So if you're like by yourself, how I used to be, you know, at the end of the night, just going to get some pizza and some beer and people watch. You can just sit up there higher than everyone, eating your pizza, eating your za, drinking, hanging out. And that's where I hung out with that guy for a long time. I hung out with a bunch of cool people there. It's a really great pace. So, so if you're ever in town, go to Jones late at night. It's a great L.A. experience, and it's a great locals kind of place, especially in West Hollywood when it can get a little weird out there. So me and Jordan go dinner, and then we come back home, but we got no power. Got no power. No power to the people. Um, Get home, and no power. But your eyes adjust real quick, and then we sit down on our couch, and we our cats, they think that we can't see them would be my only explanation. So then we just get to watch our cats not fight but play fight you know kind of like what they were doing uh, remember how i said if, if you walked in on your son trying to finger his girlfriend in his bedroom and they jump up so now we're just watching our kids finger each other <laughs> by that i mean we're just watching two cats chase each other and fight so then we just watched that for a while well went to sleep woke up got better uh we also had a party on saturday this is why i thought i had covid had a little party, a little get-together, housewarming. That was awesome. Had a bunch of friends come through. Not a bunch, you know, like maybe 20, 25 people throughout the night. Then one of my buddies, Matt Lockwood, you remember him. He got fucking COVID. So then everyone's freaking out that they all got COVID. Turns out none of us got COVID. So that's good. Which I'm pretty surprised because yesterday I thought I had it. thought I was going to have to cancel my week and sack down, baby. <sighs> so, yeah. That's why it's been so long. It's been 15 minutes telling you that. Um, otherwise, the shows I've been doing, uh, did a cool show in Oxnard near Ventura at this brewery called Casa Agria with my buddy Nick Aragon. You remember him? He's an ex-guest here. That was a good time. Bear City's been great. Salem House has been great. The party was great. I had to skip Ari's Apartment Comedy Festival show. Cat, get away. Get the fuck away. Because I was scared I had COVID that night. And then on Tuesday, I went to the improv for Bert's, Bert had a, Holly, he had a, a party at the Hollywood Improv celebrating that he got Variety. He got the cover of Variety, dog. Like the magazine, that fancy magazine back in the day. Variety's um, Comic Entertainer of the Year, some shit like that. I don't know. So then I went there, got to see all the old uh, Hot Summer Nights crew, you know. Dave was there, Williamson was there. Um, got to see Andrew Hobson again. Got to see Trevor, Parfait, Squirrel. Got to see all the guys. It was really great. Hung out with a buddy of mine there named um, Aaron Weber. If you know comedy, you know podcasts, you know him. He's on the Nate Land podcast. Um, he's a buddy of mine. We did uh, Laughing Skull in Atlanta together in 2016. And kind of, you know, he's on. He's in Nashville. He's a Nashville guy, so we're not all together all the time. But we're kind of friends over the internet. This was the first time in L.A., so I went to go hang out with him. He got JFL. <coughs> Good for him. And uh, that's why he was out here. And... Uh, yeah, we hung out with him, came home, and then I just recorded this podcast with Malik B.
if you know podcasts, you know Malik. He is from The Fighter and the Kid. He is from the Cutting Weight Podcast. Um, he was on The Fighter of the Kid. I can say this shit because, you know, not I don't really care about Brendan Schaub that much anywhere, and I don't really care about um, Brian Callen that much anyway. You could probably guess why I don't care about Brian. You can also probably guess why I don't care about Brendan. Well, when you know, when Brian got all the rape allegations, or uh, might be a little bit more in allegations, they, uh, Fighter and the Kid, Brendan Schaub, Callum went away, and then Brendan brought on Chappelle Lacey, one of my co- the co- one of my co-hosts on the Daniel Filter on Hulu, you can check that out, and then they brought in my guy Malik B. Well, Malik is, how can I describe Malik? First time I met Malik, man is very attractive, very charismatic, very in shape, very nice. The guy's just a really nice guy, and it seems... Effortlessly, effortlessly nice. It seems um, genuine. So uh, when I first met him, you know, he was, to be honest, he was a nobody. He was an open micer. And then he got on this podcast, shot him to medium stardom, internet stardom. And then he was getting a lot of heat, man, getting a lot of, because he's a very good looking guy. He's very charming. He's getting a lot of auditions. He's getting a lot of stuff. And word around the water cooler and comedy circles, old, old bitter ass Brendan Schaub got butthurt and then he kicked him off his podcast. Malik didn't tell me this, so it's not his words. It's my words and what I see and what I heard. So Malik's now doing his own thing. He's still got a decent following. Still a great guy. You guys will like this podcast. Um, I did have to do it over Zoom. So the a couple, you know, I did the Mo Mandel one over Zoom. That audio was better because then he recorded on his H5 recorder and sent me that. This one is just going to be, uh, I thought Malik would have had this shit, but I think he's more of just a talent rather than a, you know, a guy that had to, you know, like me, I didn't even have a computer a year ago. And now I got a computer, six lights, fucking studio. So I had to do this shit on my own. And I think Malik does, didn't have to do that. Great for him. I ain't mad at him. I like Malik. But he didn't have a recorder at his house. He didn't even know what the fuck that was. So we recorded on that. Pretty good uh, episode. You know, not as... Luckily, Malik, you know, sometimes... I had this one David Lucas episode where David just... you could I could just tell... As a child, he was an awful student. <laughs> it's like, bro, I'm talking to you about a murderer named Prince Musa in Bangladesh, and you're on your goddamn phone right now. Man, actually, that was the other one I recorded at the comedy store, so maybe that shit just kind of got bad juju in that place. But, you know, Malik, he wasn't able to read along with me, and he was in the, into it the whole time, and this was a good episode, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, this weekend, let's get some dates out. Um, I'm going to be in L.A. after August for the foreseeable future. I'm going to Florida in September, at the end of September, um, in the first week of August. Other than that, I'm going to be in L.A. the whole time. So if you want to come see me in Northern California, like Sacramento, this is the weekend to do it. Tomorrow, the 30th, I will, no, tonight, I will be in Placerville at the Green Room with John Ross and Johnny Taylor. Who wants three white guys on the lineup? Is it you? Do you want three white guys on the lineup? Not my favorite thing in the world. You know, and people always go like, people, I don't like when there's too many guys or any one type of person on the lineup. And it's not because of a men's rights thing. It's not because of anything. It's only because of a, the same point of view just gets old. You know, I'd rather be on a show where, I was one of two white guys. You know, it's hard to and when people when people it's hard to cut down on the number of white guys on a show because no matter what you want to think or what anything, the I would say percentage of white guys in stand up 
white males in stand-up, if you really want to do percentages, would be, I'd say at least, I would say close to 90, but I don't know if that's exactly true, but I would say at least 80% are straight white guys. So that's why there do tend to be a lot of white guys on laps. But still doesn't mean you can't get a couple other people in there, brother. So I'll be there tonight. Then on Friday, I will be in Elk Grove at this Laugh Under the Stars, Laughs Unlimited event. Um, it's 15 bucks. It's, I think you can BYOB. It's in Elk Grove. Uh, you can probably check my Instagram for that kind of shit. More information on that. Then uh, on Saturday, I'll be in Sonoma with my guy Torio Van Grohl. We're going to get him on the pod soon. And then I come back to Sacramento on the 2nd. And then on the seventh or ninth is the Liza Schlesinger um, recording. So other than that, I'm gonna be in LA for a while, just trying to move in. Still, thank you guys for watching. Sorry for the delayed episode. I'm gonna try and not do that, but honestly, sometimes I can't. This wasn't a choice. This wasn't anything other than it's what just what happens sometimes, you know. So thank you guys very much. This episode is the two-second part of the 18th Street Gang episode with Malik B. And I am Steve Fury. Oh, some of the episodes we got coming up. There's some people like hearing about this. Oh, I also got to give. This is another Dr. Joe Hofswell. My man, Dr. J. Back in here with the scoop dunking on that ass. And Dr. J also did the BNG, the Bahala Na Gang. So you can know it was good. Um... Some episodes we got coming up, Serbian Mob, Albanian Mob, probably going to do the BNG again. Um, shirts are doing well, guys. Keep sending me them. If you want a shirt, send me on Venmo, at Steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, dash F-U-R-E-Y. Send me your shirt size and the address, and I will get it out to you as soon as possible. If you like the podcast, help me out. Share it with a friend. Like, subscribe. Or really, you know, okay, let's say you're like, I don't know if any of my friends will like this, Stephen. I don't think you're very talented. I don't, I'm, I take what you do for granted. Then just go and write a fucking comment on Apple Podcasts. That's easy. You can do it while you poop. And if you already did it, borrow your kid's phone, borrow someone else's phone, do it again. That's the least you can do. Or you don't have to do it, and you can just tell me to go sit on a D. All right, guys, thank you very much. Malik B, 18th Street Gang, part two. I'm Steve Fury. See you in a minute, probably after these advertisements. Bang, bang, baby. He's, he know all about the gang culture. He was kind of ended. So. Okay, cool. So then here we go. We're going to go right here. Malik, good to see you, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Mr. Steven Fury. What's up, man? Excited to have you, buddy. We just did some shows together. Always a treat seeing around town. So essentially Bro, what this... So essentially what we're doing here, it's a little bit harder because we're going to do it over Zoom because fucking COVID's popping up in this bitch. And um, that Delta. Yeah, that Delta's fucking people up. Um, so I'm going to tell you about the 18th Street Gang. So you may have seen their stuff around L.A. Some people yeah. didn't want to do the L.A. one because they were scared that they were going to attack them. So I helped you out here and we're going to do pretty much the South America version. South America version? Yeah. So I'll tell you a little background right now. So 18th Street Gang started in South Central, uh, kind of like the West Adams area, almost by USC. And then in the 90s and the 80s, um, our government and the police thought it'd be a good idea to take um, the illegal immigrants in these gangs and kick them out of the country, right? And do like a mass deportation. 
sounds like a smart thing to do. But the problem is when you take, um, let's just call this gang cancer, and you move it from one part of the body to another, doesn't mean, doesn't mean it goes away. No, matter, it matter of fact, it metastasizes and gets worse. So what happens is we sent everybody to um, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And now they have almost completely taken over El Salvador. And Honduras and Guatemala are, are pretty soon going to have the same thing. So now I'm just going to tell you about these guys. So normally you can kind of see when it's easier. You can't get away from me. Um, it's easier to jump in. But I'll kind of take a, a, a pause and then yeah. I'll have some questions to you for you. Okay. Well, yeah, because we never definitely had to uh, take a pause because everything you said with Honduras and South America, but I'm still uh, stuck on this word, intacitizes. What was that? What does that mean? Metastasizes, well. That's yeah, a little Yeah, this is the develop. God damn. Don't, don't hit me with no Scrabble words. Okay. Don't hit me with those. Just <laughs> motherfucking. God I had damn. to write that one down before. That wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that with me. Okay. I was like. <laughs> I wouldn't, I didn't want to be rude. Like, you're intensifying the website. It's like when, it's like when a rapper goes on like sway in the morning and he says it was a freestyle, but he's rating it off his phone. Yeah. And metastasize was not a freestyle. <laughs> I was about to say, bro, was that, was that off the top? No. No. Don't, no. Hey, don't hit me with any written theory. Just hit yeah. me with all. <laughs> Four letter words only. Thank you, bro. Boy, letter words. <laughs> okay, so we're just going to hop on in. So in the 2000s, the explosion of MS-13 and 18th Street. Are you friend, familiar with MS-13 at all, that game? Yes, yeah, I've seen, I seen them. And a uh, fun fact before you start your story, I used to live on West uh, West 18th Street. Oh, there you go. That's probably where they started, over there. Yeah. So started there. Like they actually started by a guy uh, named Rocky Lee Glover, and he wanted to join this uh, group called – it was last episode, like Clover Street or something. But that group was, uh, they said, only Mexicans, full-blown Mexicans. So then he started this uh, 18th Street gang. Then when you start including everybody, they grew up huge, destroyed the other gang, and now are probably uh, top two worst gangs in the world. Wait, so that gang, 18th Street, destroyed Cloverfield gang? It was like Clover Street gang, yeah, because uh, the other gang was just like only full-blood Mexicans, whereas everyone else, they were like, Pretty much anyone can get in. So then you're just putting in way more people than the other guys. And then they just beat the living shit out of them, took over. Okay. Because I don't hear, you never hear Clover Street. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was something like that. They're dead for sure. Or not dead, but they're just gone. We did a lot of this in the last episode. It's, it's, you'd be pretty surprised. It's pretty much MS 13 and 18th Street now controlling everything. Cat, get out of here. So in LA, at least. Oh, in LA, MS-13 and, and um, 18th Street. Uh, 18th Street are just controlling all the LA streets? Yeah, all the Mexican-wise. Mexican, oh, Mexican wise. okay. Latino what about, uh, again, I'm in from LA. I'm not from it, but I lived there most majority of my life. Uh, what about A-Trays? A-Trays, they have a lot of Mexican. The Crips and stuff, yeah, that's more South Central. So then, like, it's kind of like, like, you know what? like Hoover Street and Watt in Washington that yeah. kind of separates, you know, kind of like the neighborhoods where there's a lot more black people. That's where the eight trays are and bloods and stuff like that. And when you see a lot more like El Salvadorians and stuff, kind of like I would say Washington up and East downtown. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That's Washington area, like Washington over there. Yeah. Kind of like Washington and then yeah. up that way. 
And so they went, they went wild in the 90s in America. And then the cops really cracked down on them. And then we're going to start now in the 2000s uh, when they started to be uh, deported in uh, large amounts. Okay. So um, the explosion of MS-13 18th Street membership created by the deportations of uh, America will force the El Salvador government to start separating gangs by prisons. So if you've ever... I mean, I don't know if you've ever, I've never been to prison, but normally they a lot of times keep people separated so they can't get too much. But there's so many gangs, there's so many 18th Street members in El Salvador that they just get their own prison. So it's pure them. And they're jacked in there. Like they're, they're like, it's supposed to be like 30 to like a little area and it's 90. So it's just hundreds of people. Yeah. El Salvadorians, just their own prison? They got the, that's an El Salvadorian 18th Street. So when El Salvador 18th Street has their own prison, MS 13 has their own prison. And when I say these guys are packed in there, they're shirtless in their underwear. Um, kind of like if, if my hands were behind my back and I spread my legs and you sat right behind me, in front of me, and there's another guy, and then there's another guy, and then there's another. It looks like a human centipede thing, right? It's fucking crazy. They just get so packed. But the thing is, is when, when the they're like, when they're like, you know, let's spread, let's se separate them because MF-13 will fight the, M the 18th yeah, Street. Yeah. But when you got them all in one, it's all in one gang, then that gang kind of just takes over the prison culturally and like fiscally and like they just take over everything. So mm -hmm. that's then what starts happening. Um, so, yeah. So 18th so Street took over like kind of like the prisons with the MS-13s and okay. And then MS-13s. Yeah, and then MS-13 took over their prison. It was only yeah, them. Yeah. They had no one to fight other than the guards. But now it's like, instead of the guards going against in America, it'd be like Mexican mafia, skinheads, and, you know, whatever, black gorillas or something. It's just yeah. one group. So that whole group gets to, you know, work as one fucking amoeba. And they put them, they did that on purpose. They put them purposely there to, do, damn. They thought <laughs> it was going to be a good idea because they stopped fighting each other. But exactly. now they're going against get them. And there's nothing to keep them intact. Yeah, they, they, it's like more violence at that point. Damn. Yeah, it's too scary. It's way be way too scary if you're a fucking guard in El Salvador getting paid nothing to stop like some of the most crazy people in the world. So, uh, 18th Street and MS Street start becoming extremely powerful once we put all of uh, you know, we deported all these people during the 2000s. They become extremely powerful in Honduras, Guatemala and El Salvador, which is sad because, you know, where am I going to vacation now? I had those two in my top 193 countries wanting to visit. Um, <laughs> where would you want to visit, Malik? Honduras, Honduras, man. I, listen, I heard about the women. Listen, I love a Honduras woman. I'm not going to lie to you. Exotic. But now I didn't know, like, how, you know, it comes. Listen, every bad chick comes with, like, you know, a kind of, you got to have some kind of danger. It got to be like a trap. <laughs> it's a yeah. trap. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yo, you want her that bad, go get her. And it's like a trap door. And I know it can be an MS-13 on 18th Street right behind this Hydorious woman. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not worth it. But damn, I'm still stuck over the, the prison thing. Like, oh, it's going to get way more, dude. The stuff I'm about to tell you about what they're doing in South America. It's going to get way more gnarly than that. I mean, what's funny, though, is like, you know, every pretty girl has an ugly best friend and then probably a brother in MS-13. 
<laughs> that is true. That's funny. <laughs> Hell yeah. Almost, oh, you keep playing on me. I'm going to show you, tell you my brother. Oh, you never want to hear those words. You never want to hear those words. Like, I don't, that's why when I meet a girl now, I'm like, yo, do you have any family? She's like, I have a brother. And if they're either game banging or sports, like, I, I prefer sports because I mean, I get closer to it because what if he make it? Then I get free tickets to the game. But <laughs> the game member is not going to make it. It, 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 it never, never at all. He's not gonna. <laughs> so it's just, it's just weird though. But damn, though, that's that's funny. That is uh, crazy. But I'm. But let's go back to this human centipede thing, and we're gonna move on because you know you, you can't like run past. I want to do all my research. So when it was so packed, they were in their underwear and they were sitting on top of each other. It's even uh, like that right now. Right now during COVID, there's like a huge like. Uh, this is towards the end of the podcast. But right now, there is a, a huge human rights thing going because the Honduras prison and the El Salvador prisons are like, we don't have any COVID cases, but it's because they're not saying them. And everyone in their, in their prisons are only in underwear. Some people have no underwear, no masks. They're just naked getting COVID and like probably dying. So, so I don't know about the prison systems outside of America, but I heard they're like awful. Yes. No prison, no like no underwear, no no boxes. What do they do? They just like just go there to rot. Dude, sometimes there's not even food in some of these places, and like people will sift through garbage. It's like some of the food that they're getting fed is like a thing of rice, like a bowl of rice. That's all you. Yeah, yeah, it's a fucking gnarly. South American prisons are fucking gnarly. They're like the so most. You go to South South America, you get locked up, right? Do yeah. you, are you an American? You have your ice and your passport and all that. Do they treat you differently? Or are you the same treatment in jail or anything? Because you don't look, you don't look like you're from MS-13, but you can't pass the 18th Street. I'm going to give you that right. <laughs> Maybe they're accepting more people, I heard. Maybe they're accepting. I mean, I would be fucking terrified and probably want to die. But um, yeah. I'm guessing I might be extradited. Maybe I could have a lawyer do something. But going in those prisons. um there's like, yeah, it's like there's the, the, the amount of guards, there's like 16 guards that were like 250 inmates. So like they can't see anything. So the inmates are running the prison. Yeah. So when you go in, so that's the thing. Normally you kind of still have to be kind of secretive because there's other gangs you don't want to fuck with. But now there's like no guards. You're with everybody else. You can still run shit from prison. It's like, it's like, it's like a gang, it's like gang camp. And at that point, <laughs> like we have comedy camp, summer camp, they have gang camp. The guards are there just to chaperone. That's all it is. They're not about to stop anyone. Can't stop 16? anybody. Yeah, that's that's crazy. All right, I'm sorry, but yeah, um, I want to travel. I mean, my my, I'm of course I said Honduras, but I always wanted to travel like you know Fiji and places like that. That's like my top. You, you ever know? been out of the country? Yeah, I'm the generic Mexico. Every I think everyone been to Mexico. That's all I did either. I went to Guad I went to Panama one time. Very yeah. weird country because it's kind of ours, so they use our money. So it's not cheap, but then it's also a place that Americans go to wash money. It's a big thing. And so there's all these buildings constantly getting built. Because you know, do you know how to wash money? Do you know what that is? Well, I see I, well, for podcast purposes, no, but streets, yeah. Okay, yeah. So if if people are listening, don't know. So what happens is businessmen who are doing things illegal go to Panama and they build a building for $400 million. They say it costs $1.5 billion, so then they can take the money that they spent on that and say that they meant it. So they keep doing that in Panama. So there's 
Carl, there's buildings as far as you can see. And there's ones that are like 10 years old and all the windows are busted out and all this shit because no one lives in them. It's just for these one guys to wash their money. So it's very interesting. You got to keep the, listen, you got to keep the money clean. Yeah, also, you got it. Damn. All right. I watch Snowfall, so. Oh, I love Snowfall. So, on. Why isn't huh? ever talk? Why isn't no anyone talking about Snowfall? Bro, they are so sleep. They're sleeping on that shit, bro. That's the best show currently going on. I don't care if you can put up anyone, Dave. All that Snowfall is legit. Now, yes. now, John Singleton died. I was just with the guy, the lead actor, Damson. Uh, who the, plays, fucking, uh, the guy with the cane. Yes. Hanging yes. Out with him? I was hanging out with. He's London. Yeah, he's a London guy. Yeah. Literally was just oh. hanging out with Dempsey. And he was like, yo, this next season is going to be a bit, yo, it's going to be hard. He's out here filming now. Oh, I think I, I think I got like maybe one or two season, uh, episodes left in this season, but I went super hard for like mid pandemic. It was just like, why isn't anyone talking about this? Bro, it's a lot of people scared of Scully, bro. A lot of people scared of Scully. And man, <laughs> that's why they're not talking about it. He go, you talk about gangs? Come on, man. <laughs> okay, so in 2002, the uh, a lot of South American governments and some of the U.S. governments start labeling MS-13 and 18th Street as terrorist groups. Now, when you do that, you can start. Um, they lose a lot of uh, privileges. So now these gangs aren't allowed to go anywhere. They're not allowed to meet in public. They can't be out at night because now they're terrorist organizations and not gangs. And so America, they just kind of get hassled more and shit like that. In South America, they start getting fucked up. And um, this causes, so essentially what they're doing is the cops, I'm kind of jumping all around in this thing. No, go ahead. So fine, we're getting more conversational with anything. So the cops start going, well, it's a little bit after this, so we're going to the next thing. So now that, oh, you can ask something. No, you know, so we're still in 2002. We're still in two, 2002, uh, the governments, different governments start saying these guys are terrorist organizations. Terrorist. Okay. So that means and the they're getting cops fucked up. They're getting fucked up. So in America, so in America, when you're a terrorist organization, that's when the FBI starts fucking with you. So now you got the federal government. Yes, yeah. So that's a whole different fucking. They got no rules. They can pretty much do whatever they want. Especially if you're a terrorist organization, sometimes the uh, Patriot Law can come in and they can just swoop you the fuck off. Okay. So. Over here, the feds start getting involved. 18th Street is super, still super big, still doing bad shit. But in South America, the cops start hitting them even harder. And this causes 18th Street to become super angry. And from 2006 to 2010, this is a crazy statistic. 18th Street and MS-13 killed 630 bus drivers and 201 fare collectors, toll collectors, because they wouldn't pay them a protection fee in Guatemala. So they killed 800 public works officials in four years in tiny ass Guatemala. Transportation people? Because they wasn't getting any transportation? Because so the, pretty much the bus was supposed to pay these gang members like, you know, five pesos a week so that those gang members wouldn't fuck with them. It's called extortion. It's what people do, yeah. and it's what mafia used to do with businesses and stuff like that. But why buses, though? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't even know there were 630 bus drivers in the world. I was just about to say, who keeps getting hired as a bus driver knowing these stats? Uh, <laughs> I would have stopped at the six. I'm like, hello, six? What happened to James today? He got shot. Like, no, wait. 
Again? I'll be a cop. I'll be working in those prisons. They're not yeah. dying as quick as these fucking guys. Also, it's like bus drivers and fare collectors. What? Could they not find any chimney sweeps or window washers? <laughs> who the hell was like, I want to step up to be brave today? Like, who the hell want to get on a bus and get shot? For one, I, I I can't see you just getting on. A, did they did they like at least complete their all their stops? I don't. I just want to know at what point did they die in the mid shift when they got off work? <laughs> Kill me in the beginning of the shift. Don't make they, me work all day. Don't make me, and then I got to take a bullet. Listen, that's, <laughs> now that's the horrible part about it. That's what I want to know, bro. Like, listen, I did all that. I'm tired. Are you going to kill me? Come on, my nigga. Just unbuttoning your shirt. You're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he comes up behind him. And then, in, in like, whatever Honduran, he says, you forgot to stop. And the gun is, like, behind ah. him. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. That's a movie. That's a movie. Sick. I mean, it's sick. Oh, so crazy. Here's a here's a question. That I mean, toll booth worker, bus driver, probably one of the worst jobs you could possibly have. Oh, Alec, what is the worst job you ever had? Uh, my worst job I ever had. Uh, I don't know. I honestly, I didn't. I never had a job. I was just always in boxing. Really? I swear. Yeah, I never had a job. I like like I had to fill out an application and get hired. I never had that. I mean, I just. I always was hustling. In high school, I sold candy uh, <laughs> and chips. I was always hustling. Uh, in Louisiana, I'm from Baton Rouge, so I, I, in middle school, I would just like cut grass and just try to get us. That was all my job, yeah. And then what do you do? Now you're a trainer. And so you make money as a trainer or something? Do you make yeah, money? I buy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm training. Yeah, I, I train people with boxing. Uh, yeah. So I'm a boxing trainer. Yeah, I don't. All right. Yeah, I love all my jobs. That's boring. I know it's boring, but I love every job. Like I just say cutting grass is the worst because you know that's real labor. I hated that shit. I hated that. Yeah, but other than that, I was just trying to like be like a slick little hustler, you know. But but so when I first moved out here and I went to high school my freshman year, and I was like, I need some way to like have a lot of people know me and talk about me, and, like yo. Cause you know, like I said, it's gangs and I'm a Louisiana kid. I didn't know, you know, there's bloods and crips out here. So I want to be cool with everyone. So I was like, yo, let's sell candy and chips. So I had every, all the gang members, like, hey bro, let me get the hot Cheetos. I'm like, all right, bet. And it was like, oh man, you box as well? So I was that guy that was kind of popular through that way. And I had like some, some kind of in, like everybody came up to me. Cause yeah. like, it, you know, see, you know, I was dope. Probably Security. also cause you threw hands pretty well. So they're like, we either got to kill this guy. We can't fight him. We can't fight him. We got to shoot him. <laughs> but he cool, though. He cool. Like, yo, he give us. I'm like, nah, hey, those two I Cheetos is on me. Don't kill nobody that day. And he was like, oh, can't make any promises. That's how I knew. <laughs> That's how I knew I was in L.A. I was like, oh, shit, can't make any promises. That's what the bus, dri- the bus driver should have done that, you know, throw him a couple hey, free rides. Free rides, bro. At some point, you got to, like, you got to level with the game. You know what I mean? The games, they don't know too much. That's all they know is kill. And because once you get in the game, it's like, yo, there's no one, what they say in Malibu most wanted, you got to die out. There's yeah. no, it's, you can't like wake up one day and like, man, I, I want to stop game banging. And, <laughs> and you know, go ahead. Question I got for you. Moving, I moved from Northern California to LA. And, you know, you move from somewhere to LA, you definitely feel like I'm in the big leagues now, essentially, right? I would, yeah. I would use. So as a boxer, 
did you find um, boxers at local gyms here were better than Louisiana or kind of just everyone's good and there's just more people here? Uh, Steve, that's a great question because I, in Louisiana, um, I was nervous to come out here Yeah, because my friend uh, from Louisiana went to LA and he said the further west I went, the harder they punched. I was like, oh shit, I knew he was talking <laughs> I knew he was talking about Mexicans because, again, we didn't have Mexicans in Louisiana. So I was nervous and fighting like Mexicans in like different races because all I had was white and blacks. And, you know, I was doing fairly well. So when I got out here and I see all this talent, I was like, oh, shit, because you get you get Cubans, you get you get, you know, Venezuelans, you get Mexicans, you get different kind of what else? Um, blacks, you get uh, British. It's so many different styles. So I was like, oh, this is the, the cream of the crop. So I, I say L.A. is the best place because the mecca of box, boxing is a wild card, like Manny Pacquiao. You got the Filipinos. And then everyone wants to come and see Freddie Roach. He's like, I want Freddie Roach to train me. So you get everyone from all over, and it's a pool of talent in L.A. So I have to say L.A. That's cool, man. Oh, but this is the thing, though. I mean, there can't be that many Mexican dudes as your height, though, in your weight class, are there? Bro, yeah. Well, back then. You're like six foot, 164. Yeah, yeah, well, well, when I was fighting, I was I was six foot one forty seven. I was I was skinny. Woo! Oh yeah, yeah, bro, you didn't know that. Yeah, I was huh. skinny. Bro. I like was, a featherweight, yeah, I was huh? Is that a featherweight? Now I was I was welterweight. Oh, welterweight one forty seven. Yeah, and Mexicans, the highest they had was like one forty one forty seven. But now lately, bro, you got a Mexican a super heavy, uh, middleweight, a super heavyweight. You had Chris Ariola, the first Mexican heavyweight champ, the fat guy. Who got the Anthony Joshua? Yeah, the first Mexican champion. So like, bro, they they big now, bro. So but back then it wasn't like that. You get the small ones, and you know they fast and like Mexican pride, Viva la Mexico. Yeah. You know, just yeah, and that's how I learned to speak Spanish in boxing through the gym. Oh, you can speak Spanish? Yeah, just a little poquito, just a little bit. Yeah, cool. yeah, that's all. Yeah. All right, let's go back into this thing. The 2007 Congressional Report on 18th Street Gang and MS-13. So in America, 18th Street can be found in Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, Maryland, Nashville, New York, Houston, L.A., Atlanta, everywhere, right? So they're estimated to have about 30,000 members across the United States. So and this is MS-13. This is uh, this is MS-13 and uh, 18th Street. They're kind of the okay. same. It's like Bloods and Crips. They're the same thing. They just wear different colors and they hate each other. Gotcha. Okay. You know right. So um, there is a document that makes an argument that the U.S. has been blamed internationally for the transportation and proliferation of 18th Street. So what I'm telling you, we deported all these fucking guys everywhere instead of us thinking that maybe they're going to go there and find God or go to school. They just start more fucking gangs and then infect everywhere else. So the so literally the international Central American like governments all start blaming us. And we start saying it's not our fault. So essentially, it's like if you had COVID, you got sick, ignored the systems, went to go hang out with other people, and then got everyone sick on 18th Street. And then you were like, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault, yeah. It wasn't my fault. Hey, typical U.S. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing about us, bro. We perfect. <laughs> yeah. Russia, no, no, untouchable. That ain't me, dog. Everything's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So that's when we started... To these guys the members in south america and mexico were probably at a couple thousand 
Um, now their range is between 70 to 100,000 across Central America and Mexico. So damn near three times as many as are here. Um, gang cases in America have increased by 58%. Uh, so gang deaths between 2000 and 2004, gang-related murders in America were 784. 784 killed, yes. yeah. yeah, just these two gangs. Okay, yeah, just specifically MS-13 and 18th Street. Mm-hmm. They killed 784 people in the United States. I want yeah. people to hear Okay, I just want people to hear that. In September in 2011, a clique in New York was dismantled after six members were arrested in a 15-month undercover operation on forged documents. Uh, 2012, the South American government pleaded with 18th Street and MS-13 cliques to come around the table and negotiate a truce. This is a huge thing. So what the South American government essentially is being like, you know, you guys just chill out. We can't beat you. Can you just chill out? Um, Damn, you know, you know how big you have to be for the government to be like, yo, relax, bro. All right, y'all got it. You, you can have this one. Please, just like relax. And we try to do something. And yo, you know how big that is? Like, yo, come on. The American government pleading with a gang? Yes. So on 4-14-2012, so that was, uh, what is it, a couple days? Yeah, okay. A little while after this, once the truce, they actually came to a truce. And on 4-14-2012 was the first day in over three years that a murder wasn't committed in El Salvador. So El Salvador has a lot of murders if in one day was the first time someone didn't get murdered in one day over three years. And all because of that truce? All because of that truth. Okay, the truth lasted for, Yeah, the truth lasted for two years. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, which is pretty good. But the problem was a new government came in and the gangs were go, hey, we're welcome to renegotiate with you guys. I'm guessing the government pays them money. We're stop fighting each other. The new administration goes, fuck that shit. I'm going to go fuck you guys up. They go, we're going to we're going to crack down on you guys and bust your ass, right? So this is kind of the hilarious thing about, well, not hilarious. It's super, super sad. Um, the gang makes a truce again because the government then starts fucking them up and then they work together against the government. That's going to happen in a little bit while, longer. And they really start working. So, so the government, um, not, not USA, right? No, El Salvador. This is the El Salvadorian government. They, they new guys came in thinking they big shot. Now understanding like that, it was like principles set before them. It was like, man, fuck those principles. I don't give a shit about that. We're we're the law, and you're gonna respect the law. So they went in and started like fucking their shit up. Fucking and, their and, shit. And of course, the gains is like, man, we we we're dying from the government, and we gotta like protect MS13 versus 18th Street. Like, come on, bro. So they're, what they did was, they was like, yo, let's align together. Let's come to some kind of, like, unit and go against the government. You're, yep. And they, they go against them. So this is where it comes right here. So in 2016, okay. as the government in El Salvador begins to target gang-affiliated neighborhoods with violent brutality, the leaders of the 18th Street and MS-13 agree to another truce in order to show the injustice conducted by the El Salvadoran government. So essentially, the government is going into, you know, fucking East L.A., Sound Central, and going in and just beating the shit 
out of everyone. And I'm not talking about just guys in blue bandanas or guys in any kind of MS-13 tattoo. The El Salvadorian guys, those are the ones that have like 18 tattoos right here. They yeah. look... They look like a subway in Harlem. They look, <laughs> yeah, they look like a desk at a community college. Fucked up. Seriously, yeah. So they're going in there and just beating women, beating everybody. The cops are. Ladies. So then the, the so then the gangsters are like, okay, we're gonna go together. And um, so uh, both of them. That's fucking crazy. So the member, so the MS-13 and uh, a street, 18 Street gang in South America say we don't have a war against the police; they have one against us. But it's not really true. The MS-13, 18 Street gangs have become so bloodthirsty in El Salvador that the government had declared them terrorist organizations. The gangs are responsible for bringing the murder rate to last seen during the 1979 to 1992 civil war, as in when the country was fighting itself. This is the only time that many citizens of the country have been murdered. And the numbers I'm about to give you are fucking mind-blowing. Go ahead, I'm ready. In August 2014, August 2014, there were 907 murders in El Salvador, a country the size of Massachusetts. By comparison, Chicago, known for its gang violence, we can all say that, right? I don't think it's a weird thing, recorded 411 murders in the same year in a year. So, wow. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Just to put it in perspective. Mm -hmm. So, this is, this is all 2012, correct? Or two, 2014. Or this, we now went up to 2014. So, 2014, okay. so, the gangs are working together. Yeah. And they're and, now pissed that the government's fucking with them a lot. And they turn up the yeah. on everybody. Exactly. And and what was the date again? It's August 14th, 2014. August 14th, 20, okay, 2014. 907 murders? 907 murders in August. Chicago had 400 in a year. That's insane. So and both games are just like, who, they, who are they killing? They're killing people now. They're, kill, they're killing fucking police. Oh, I'll read you the next one after this one. These are just human beings that the gangs are killing. They still fuck with each other, but now they're going to ask everybody because the government, they had a thing. What, what, when was that? When was the day? Uh, 04-14-2012, right? So two years above that, no one dies in a day because the government's like, fuck it, we'll just kind of work with you guys. Two years later, 900 people are dying a month. Okay? And then now... So in 2015 in El Salvador, so you know, you're thinking, ah, oh, gangs are just killing each other. No, no, no. In 2015 in El Salvador, they murdered 55 police members, 18 military officers, six correction officers, one prosecutor, and a judge. They're not playing with the law. They They're not, not fucking so, around. So, so a year later, so that was 2014 when we had 907 deaths. Then you move to 2015 and they calculated, say that study again, 55 police officers. 55 police 18, officers. 18, 18 military officers. Okay. Six correction officers. Remember I said those guys, not many of them in the fucking jails. Now there's okay. even less. One prosecutor, so a lawyer, and a judge. And a judge. 
God damn. To get your homie off the case. But yep. so what 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 did the government do after that? Now I'm intrigued. Like, okay, so they know they're dying. What did they do? They cracked down harder? Of course. I mean, they're trying, but right now we're getting close to our time in really so as of now, so that was five, six years ago. Bro, that was six, six years ago. Right now in El Salvador, they have a murder rate of 25 a day. 25 a day? 25 people are murdered in El Salvador a day. And this is done by Special Agent Julian Iguardala, who's a FBI guy down there. Hold on, so 25 times 30. 750 murders a month. A month. A month. So seven. So a lot of people are dying. 750 times. 750 people a month, and and, and it's going. It's growing, right? It's growing. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the other that the 2000 the 900 a month was a huge spike, but 700 is still not. That's not that small. And um, and then since so since a lot of their gang members keep dying. Right now, this is the last, this is honestly going to be the last bit of the podcast. So right now in El Salvador, 25 people are day, dying a day. 80% is gang-related. And 80% of the people doing the killing are 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and 15-year-olds with bazookas and AK-47s. They're just going after the police. They're going after civilians. And they're, doing, they're just destroying El Salvador. Who the fuck getting 14-year-olds bazookas? It's because they, because like you know, they get they can get them from like military militias. Weird, because like in South America, you know, you see Snope and uh. Yeah, yeah. In that goddamn van, they have like nothing but machine on them, just like just fucking. And the Israeli guy, the Israeli yeah. guy was an arms dealer, so he will work with anyone. So then he works with some military people down there. They flip into these guys, and uh, the whole country's gone to shit. And I would not suggest going there. It's one of the highest murder rates in the world, one of the final places possible. And COVID? There's no, no COVID reports? In- so now, so I did have this one about COVID. So COVID now down there, are they're doing the underwear thing. So everyone's ass to ass, head to head like this, and only wearing underwear, no masks, and all the, and all the prisoners are dying in the jails. And, the, and outside governments are like, hey, you got to help these guys. But then the government's like, fuck these guys, they're murdering everybody. I don't give a fuck if they have COVID. Oh, I get what you're saying. The government's like, why should I help you out? These motherfuckers out here. My- oh, got you. Got you. Okay. That's how the government is getting back at them. Like, yo, fuck them. Yo, it's okay. They're killing okay. officers. They're killing civilians. They're killing everyone. Judges? My- yeah. You judges, any prosecutors, fuck them. Let them rot. Oh, okay. So they, go, they go into their neighborhoods, beat the living shit out of these guys' moms, uh, of their dogs of their dad's maybe little fucking horchata business or whatever. And then they go when these guys are in jail, you ain't getting no help. Everyone's getting COVID. You're probably going to die. You're ass to dick with the dude behind you. Who's got face tattoos all fucking all over him. And no one gives a fuck about you, man. And then these guys get all mad and it just perpetuates in a circle that I have no idea how it can get helped. You can't break that. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's, I think the truth if governments knew, like, of course, this is all these guys know. Like, some banging, game banging, 18th Street, you know, MS-13, this is all these guys know. It's generation. It's like I call it generational uh, uh, affiliation because my grandfather is a game banger. My dad is a game banger. That's all they know. 
It was like, tell me to go to school. I'm like, man, forget school. I'm going to stray away and do what my dad and my grandfather did. So it's just a cycle. But if the government understood, like, yo, okay, the only way we can break it is to have a truce, some kind of truce. Like, yo, look, we'll pay y'all. You know, listen, stop the killing. It's not bad. It's, it's bad on both sides. A lot of the government act like a lot of government, these agents, like you said, the prosecutors, the uh, military guys, you know, police officers, people putting their life on the line. They're getting smoked for no reason because it's just war. Fucking so bus drivers are getting smoked. Bus drivers are told, like, bro, told me. Like, yo, I don't want to pay the toll. Well, I hate to go to Florida. That's all they do down there. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't go so, to Kansas. You, you pop real quick. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I, I honestly think, I'm, I'm thinking about it. And, you know, we watch all this stuff on TV, but if the government realized, like, yo, this is, we can't stop gangbanging. And the, the, the gangbangers know we can't stop the law. It will always be another police officer. It will always be another judge, another prosecutor. So if they come to some kind of truce, like, yo, nah, don't mess with that, or, or we'll lower the deaths, it will be, uh, at least we have, like, some kind of peace. Don't but a little better. Like, I mean, a lot of people get into gangs, you know, let's, if you take, I've been doing this podcast for, we've got about 20 episodes now, so I've got a little small in, intake on gangs. A lot of the time you go into the neighborhood, you get beat up by another gang. So then you join another gang to protect yourself from that neighborhood, from that other group, or to give yourself some kind of, or sometimes it's even the same gang that beat you up. You then join, so you don't get beat up anymore. But in El Salvador and in Guatemala and in Honduras, the police are beating you up. The police are beating up. I mean, the police are doing it because you're murdering those people in your neighborhood are murdering them, but the police are beating you up. The police are beating up your mom. The police are kicking your dog. The police are burning your house. So then you're like, what the fuck else am I going to do but join this gang? And then it just perpetuates. Then you're, then you go kill cops. Now kill, cops go back in the neighborhood, beat the shit out of you. And it's like a toilet spinning down in the middle of fucking South America. It's a, it's, it's a never ending cycle. I see what you're saying. Whoa. Oh man, that's tough because in the end, if police come right in now and just like beat up my family and stuff, like they expect someone to take that. Like, nah, especially in El Salvador, where it's like, yo, man, fuck that. I'm gonna yeah. go get Very much going on down there, dog. It's you with yeah. the gun versus me with the gun. You better exactly. be ready. Best man be win. It's like, yo, those old Western movies where they're like, yo, draw. And you have to do that little standoff. So, I, I, yeah, it's, a, I don't wanna say it's the cops' fault, but. Bro, you got to have a better way of protecting, you know, civilians. I mean, it's lightweight America's fault because we sent these fucking career criminal insane people there. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's America. Yeah. But so today, is there still 30,000 people in America? Like, yo, we're still with MS-13. Oh, 18th Street is popping, especially in L.A., man. They'll start... uh, You'll start walking around no, noticing 18 kind of, kind of like you know when you drive a car and then you're like damn i feel like everyone has my car you just see yes. your car everywhere around now mm-hmm. i start seeing 18 street shit you see a lot of ms13 18 street all the time yeah all spray printed across town yeah yeah and they big yeah i i remember when okay so when nipsey also died and the gangs came to a truce like a little bit a mm-hmm. little bit and it was a good thing like a lot of people less good rolling like, trades wasn't he Huh? I think he was rolling trades, wasn't he? No, 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 no. He was uh Nipsey was uh rolling sixties. Rolling sixties, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolling sixties. But he had he was cool with everyone. So yeah. like every, he was respected in every game. So because I don't know if you heard of Big U. Big U is one of these like 
OG Crip. Like, he's like a big influence. He has hands on every game. He's a rolling 60, but he has respect for the Inglewood families, for the Hoover Crips. Like everyone coming to report in. If you're a rapper, you got to check in with Big U or someone like an OG like that. Yeah, I heard right? about that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's so when Nipsey died, it was such a significant loss that a lot of games is like, bro, we're going to come to a truce. Like, man, this is messed up because the way he died and you see it on camera. He got Fucking everybody. Buddy killed him. His home homeboy killed him. Not only did he kill him, once he, he he shot him and he thought like Nipsey had a gun or his people had a gun. Once he realized he didn't have a gun, he kicked him in his face after he shot him. And yeah, so, and people see that, you like, he made that face even the gang members. Like, nah, that ain't how you, that ain't how you go, you know? So they kind of came to a truce. I remember it was like a little bit, like for a week, it was like, I went to three days. <laughs> But it was like no crime and it felt peaceful. So I understand what a truce can do like to a lot of to the community and to a lot of people. So it's just like that truce. I don't know what, of course I'm rambling, but just the government has to come to like a, a decision like, yo, listen, it's not gonna work. You know, we, we, you know, we need people, we need good people. And if we can break that cycle, I don't know who these new fuckers coming in and just like changing everything, kicking the police, beating up families, that's not cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's in America, there seems to be, this is what I've noticed the most in America. Um, if you have a gang and you only exploit your culture and your neighborhood and only kill other gang members, the cops don't tend and the government don't tend to go after you very hard. But when you start going out and killing, you know, rich white people or cops, then they start getting very mad. And then it seems like a lot of gangs kind of know this. Like we just did this gang uh, last week called the BNG, the Balal Na gang. Uh, and they are uh, a Filipino gang. No one's ever heard of them. They're from my neighborhood growing up because they only stick to themselves. They only sell drugs to their own friends, they only party with their own friends. And it seems like in America, you know, there's uh, somewhat of a rule of law with the police and with gang members. You know, if you have a gang, you definitely don't want your guy going out on the street and murdering six police officers. That, that doesn't help anybody. But in South oh, America, too much, draws too much attention. You're yeah. fucking, you're fucking my shit up now. It's not just your now, your shit. We're in the same group. But in South America, man, since all their fucking, all these people's older brothers and uncles and dads are dick to ass, head to butt in a fucking prison thing, now they're only 12, 13 year olds and 14 year olds, and there's not much scarier. Than a 12, 13, and 14 year old with a gun. Those people are fucking insane. No, no. He doesn't think about the consequences. <laughs> he yeah, doesn't think know. about the consequences at all. Nah, he's too young. So the fact that a 14 year old who would definitely pull the trigger as like yep. someone who's like 28, yeah, yeah. Like, damn, damn, that, yeah, that's serious. And again, that makes so much sense because now it's like gang versus gang, the cops versus the MS 13s or the 18th Street. Because the police is the best gang that we have. You know what I mean? That's a gang in itself. They come in and just kick your door whenever the fuck they feel like it. To destroy your house. That was one. Uh, my house got, well, I wouldn't say my house, my friend's house got raided by the cops. They tore up the place. I didn't know, like, you know what I mean? And they leave. You got to clean up all that shit. Yeah, you don't get no like, money back. And you got no fucking front door for No that. money back. Bro, fucking kick in the door. You got to repair it. You got to do all that. And I'm like, that's fuck. And they didn't find anything because they had a warrant. That's crazy. And all they had to do was knock on the door. That's all they had to do. And it's not even, and, they, and it's just like, it's the, the cops are just like the fucking, 
guys killing the bus drivers, you know? It'd be nice if a cop, when they're going to break your door, come in at like 10 a.m. So then I'm awake during the day yeah. to get a new fucking door. But they break your door at like midnight, and now you're yeah. like, my whole house is ruined. My front door is open. I'm probably not in the best neighborhood. Dude, you fucked me. And you probably, and you probably,